My first few investments I wanted to get. I did not want to, but somehow I'm a hands-on guy and I wanted to almost get involved operationally, which is a big mistake. As an investor, you sit on the backseat of the car and you try to scream sometimes, more to the left, more to the right. <laughs> but this is the only thing you can do and avoid road roadblocks. It's exactly, yeah. In this episode, I'm talking with Pascal Matis, ETH alumni and entrepreneur, who co-founded Get Your Guide, ETH's first tech unicorn, and Wingman Ventures, a leading Swiss pre-seed fund. This is We Are ETH, and I am Susan Kish, your host. Pascal, welcome. Tell us about your time at the ETH. Did I understand correctly you study electrical engineering? That's correct. Not computer science. We did a bit of programming, uh-huh. but I was never too good at that. I was rather <laughs> with electrons, etc. Starting 2001, it was tough. We still had the full diploma, so the older generations will still remember. But what, all went well. What, I was ever What even... is a full diploma? What does that mean? So after the first year and the second year, in in Grundstudium, this was the big exams and the failure rate was pretty high. During the summer break, you really had to study, or at least in my case, the more genius <laughs> ones, they were able to have some vocation. And was it a four-year program or a three-year program? Or how many years was the full diploma? This was the first two years. Got it. And then what happened after that? Then you did a master's or... Yeah. And I wanted to also break out a bit. So did first an internship at a robotics company. Uh-huh. That's actually where I found out that it's interesting to, to work on real life projects. And it was even a startup. It was only 12 employees. And thereafter, I went to Barcelona for two semesters. This was also invaluable. Barcelona must have been great. It's such a beautiful city. It was fantastic. The only problem is that the, the Universidad Politecnica de Catalunya was also tough. So Yes, I, I had a bit more free time than in Zurich, but still I had to study. <laughs> I understand. And you study electrical engineering there as well? That's correct. And yep. you ate lots and lots of tapas, I'm sure. A lot. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's really a nice city. Yeah, absolutely. I can understand. So tell us a little bit about why you chose to be an entrepreneur. Many electrical engineers go and work at ABB or Schneider Electric or places like that. What caused you to make that choice? So I'm sure you're familiar with ETH Juniors. This is the student organization which acquires projects from the industry and, and then work on it. And a friend of mine did this, also an electrical engineer. After Barcelona, I went straight into this club and somehow I liked this a lot to acquire these projects and work on them. And I was then, after two months, I became president of this group. So Fast very riser. cold water. <laughs> Fast <laughs> exactly. This is what my aunt said. Yeah. And after this experience, I, I had this entrepreneurial bug a little bit, but nevertheless, I started off as all my friends in engineering positions. I went to Siemens. I'm sure that was lovely. And I'm sure you had great benefits and yeah. you had an office and all the things that go with it. So there was even a carpet in the office. So it was really, really nice. And yeah. did you have windows? That's the big question. The big windows, yep. I'm oh, I, like for in my entire career, I, I chose uh, my career in nice offices. Also now with wingmen, I really always want to have nice offices with big windows. Oh, good. Very good. But what caused you to leave the paradise of Siemens? 
Yeah, we had already in the evening. So during the day I was working at Siemens. I was a product manager for switch operating systems for trains. Some That's of my sort of cannot cool. believe it. <laughs> exactly. And it was a bit, yeah, to be honest, a bit slow, the whole thing. Like people at half past four, they would clean their desk slowly and then so that they are ready to leave at five. And this was not how I worked. I had more energy. So in the evenings, we started to work uh, on our little platform, which later you became Get Your Guide. You had a side gig. That's right. Exactly. Wow. And what was your side gig? <laughs> this was the uh, like the... Together with four friends from ETH, we thought that we could revolutionize the way we travel. Uh -huh. And it was the earliest version of Get Your Guide. Now, there's a lovely origin story about Get Your Guide, about one of your friends being stuck in Beijing for Model UN for the ETH or something. There's usually something like that. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, absolutely. So Johannes, he is a German who cannot speak Chinese. He went to China for the Model United Nations, as you stated. And then a day, only a day later, his best friend, Tao Tao, who is also German, but speaks Chinese, uh, if you listen to the name. Um, so these first 24 hours were terrible for Johannes because he could not even take a cab or go to the cinema or anything. And as soon as he had his friend Tao coming over, who speaks the language, who was familiar with everything, they had a great time. And that was our first idea. When they came back, we were in the Mensa, we were discussing Why does it have to be like this? Why can't we have a friend everywhere we go who shares interests and shows us the cities? That was the basic idea. Yeah. Sort of a peer-to-peer -peer global network of pals, local pals. That's co completely right. And since it was such a good idea, we had to code it. And <laughs> four months later, we had it uh -huh. and nobody would book. So we had in total, <laughs> I think, four, four bookings. <laughs> And it, it turns out our, our friends and moms did them in the end. Yeah, it was not a big success. So how did you pivot? Or how did you pivot? Yeah, what we had, we were interacting with the, with the tour operators already. And they were interested in our platform. They basically told us this internet thing is tough for us. We don't know how this works. Mm -hmm. And probably it's here to stay. And um, Why don't you sell our tours, which are already existing, on your platform? And We just listened to our customers and switched it to B2C, how it is today. Very cool. And get your guide. You got an enormous amount of money from SoftBank right before COVID, which was probably brilliant. Yeah. Johannes, my co-founder, he has just this gut feeling, or I don't know what it is, but about the fundraise, he always picks the right moment to fundraise. So I was always thinking, why should we go for the next race? It's so tedious and annoying. <laughs> but in the end, he always was very smart about the timing. Yes, this was great luck or good timing to, to just raise before COVID. Right. Because my bet is your earnings, your revenue just went through the floor. I bet it, did anybody book through you during COVID? No, it was insane. I was so sure that we are on a stable mission, but then this tiny virus came around and no plane left the ground. And so The, the revenues went basically down to zero. How did you, how did they survive? They had money in the bank. They had money in the bank. And then my co-founders, they did a bold move. They said, we don't want to uh, lay off people. We tried to keep huh. the group together. And they did something very smart. They went to the attractions, which are sometimes hard to get. And so we got very good contracts with attractions, which usually don't need to sign these kind of contracts. We came very strong out of the crisis, stronger than all of our competitors. Got it. And you left. 
if I recall That's, correctly. Yeah, exactly. At the end of 2013, I, I left and that had very personal reasons. We had two kids by the time. Congrats. And since we, since, yeah, thanks to my wife. Yeah, I'm sure had, you had uh, a role to play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, at least this is how I tell the story. Yeah. No, we, we had already offices in Germany and the US, so I needed to travel quite a lot. And my wife said, hey, this is not how, how a proper father should behave. And yeah, that's why I stepped down from the board and from my operational roles. And you worked at Google for a few years. That's correct. And also there, it's interesting sometimes in life, I really had no clue what to do because you're an entrepreneur, you have your own company. It's really nice to work for yourself and having your project. And a friend of mine just sent my CV to Google without even telling me. <laughs> so only later he said, ah, by the way, I put your CV to Google and I was interested anyhow to learn how they recruit because this was mostly my job at Get Your Guide. Uh -huh. And uh, yep, that's why I started the process and somehow uh, convinced them to hire me. But that entrepreneurial bug just stayed in place or you got frustrated with how hard it is to start up something in Switzerland or what was the catalyst for you to leave and start Wingman? So at Google, it was fantastic to be Again, nice carpets, big windows, a lot of light, great perks. <laughs> so it was, it's uh, really nice to work for Google. And the dining and rooms were as wonderful as you hear? It's insane. They even served us sushi sometimes. It's, uh, really? It's incredible. Oh, yeah. man. So it's really, it's a great company. And it was also interesting for me to learn something new. What happened then is that the young people who wanted to become an entrepreneur, they reached out to me and asked for advice. Huh. And uh, it, yeah, through it, the it ETH feels... network, or just you had been yes, profiled mostly. enough, or mostly, I think, mostly through friends and yeah, a, a lot of ETH people, uh -huh. and they asked me questions, how we did this at Get Your Guide, how you build a unicorn, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And obviously, it's also a bit charming because you know something which not so many people in Switzerland have gone through. And I started coaching, and then I realized that there is all this talent, especially from ETH, and nobody cares. There was a bank here, ZKB, and they had a program to invest a bit of money. This is also how we started at Get Your Guide, which is great, but this is not even for profit, I have the feeling. That's how I started to then also invest small amounts into these companies. So you started as an angel yourself? <laughs> That's exactly correct. Yeah. So and this was not planned. Yeah. You just rolled into it. It does happen. And then you decided to make this more formal or what switched from an interesting job at Google with great sushi and other gazillion perks to the offices of Wingman with that W in the background. Yeah, it was. Yeah, great it, it branding, was by the way. I love yeah. that W. I love <laughs> that <you>. font. <clears throat> We are very proud of it, especially <laughs> with the dot, which you see somewhere here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's again, accidentally. So I did this as a sidekick in the evenings again. You can see a bit. I, I just, yeah, I never want to be bored. And so I always see opportunities and... Side hustle. That's side, side hustle. Question. That's, That's the term. And then it always starts with a friend. So I'm not so good just by myself, but my friend Lucas, who also started a great business called eat.ch, where many people order food still until today. And he already sold his company and had also a bit of money and the entrepreneurial background. So the two of us would start to invite founders and listen to their pitches and help them. And in the best teams, we then started to invest. 
And so we were already professionalizing a little bit. So we were this uh, business angel duo. Yeah. And we would already create the brand. So the wingman brand we already established. And yeah, this is how we did the first few years, just as, the, as, as these two business angels and trying to find fun deals and yeah, having fun with these young uh, entrepreneurs. And then you decided that was lovely and you'd go and actually raise a fund and professionalize it, 80 million or something we like actually, that? That was a lot. We actually figured out that it's not so lovely because oh. we had not enough money to do the, the entire rounds. So what this means to the founders as soon as they had the money from Lucas and me, the show would go on. They would have to fundraise. And then I would call all my friends. Lucas would call all of his friends. It takes four, five, six months until we had the round together. It was so cumbersome. And then Lucas and myself would then be in the board and close to the founders and coach them. And all the others would just ride along with us and then maybe even do a stupid joke at the general assembly if something wouldn't work out. And we said, hey, we, ha we have to switch this around. So first, all these uh, wealthy people, they should invest in our bucket, which is called the fund. And from this fund, according to strategy, we can then do the, the entire rounds really quickly for the entrepreneurs. And yeah, it makes just more sense to make this professional. However, you're just doing this in Switzerland for just for Swiss entrepreneurs? That's correct. And there is a third partner, which whom is an important addition. So Lucas and myself, we are the entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. We have done it ourselves. And then Alex comes in, who has worked for a fund already four years here in Switzerland. And we had a very similar thinking about how a proper VC should work or a new VC and not this old fashioned top down models, but really more American on eye level, supporting the founders, coach them. The three of us then founded this fund structure. Got it. Why did you start an incubator? Why didn't you do the Y Combinator route? Yeah, this has been a discussion, but I personally and my partners share this. We like to invest in teams. To date, we do not invest in singles because it's just so hard to build a company from the ground up. And in these incubators, what they often do is they try to help form the teams. And sometimes they even give them an idea. This is not what we believe in. It's just like a religion. So our religion is we want the teams to build the team and also have the idea. Because this way, if uh, times go not so well, and this is 100% always the case, the teams don't break up. We have the feeling that the teams are more stable if they found each other and if they come up with their own thing. Well, that's interesting. So they have the trust when they enter that relationship. Because you're right, when money starts to be on the table, weird things happen. That's absolutely correct. <laughs> Traditionally, investors would say if you focused on just one country, your risk profile is going to be unacceptably high. So how were you able to persuade your passive investors, your LPs, that this was going to be an acceptable risk profile? No. So our investors are very wealthy people and they pick not one fund, but several. So you're absolutely right. If we only pick one geography, in our case, Switzerland, this is not diverse, not too diverse. But on the other hand, in this earliest stage, so we invest in the very first round of, of fundraise. So in this stage, you usually want to be close to the founders. And also in Silicon Valley, you find these pre-seed funds which really invest just in a radius of two hours travel time mm -hmm. to be close to the founders. And we knew that this is our stage. This is where we can add most value. So we knew 
that we had to choose a location and we, we were just pure lucky that Switzerland has to offer these great, especially the, the, the technical universities. It's for us, it's a, it's the perfect starting point. How do angels react and work with you? So as you have heard a bit from our founding story, we are playing in this very first round. In earlier times, this was reserved for the angels. And yes, some of them we might push out of these rounds and they are not able to invest. We always look for people who can help with their network or their skill set. So we will make the lead in the round always. And then we will reserve a few hundred thousands for angels who really add value to the table. A friend of mine was a very active Swiss angel. He lives in Hong Kong now. And he always said that as soon as you make an angel investment, you should just write it off. Don't worry about it. Do what you mm. can to help them. Do what you can to help build it. Use your network. Do whatever. But don't live or die by your angel investing. Yeah, it's a very good advice and I did not follow. <laughs> and especially for <laughs> entrepreneurs who turned investors, it's, uh, it's tough in the beginning. My first few investments I wanted to get, I did not want it to, but somehow I'm a hands-on guy. Yeah. And I wanted to almost get involved operationally, which is a big mistake. As an investor, you sit on the backseat of the car and you try to scream sometimes more to the left, more to the right. <laughs> but this is the only thing you can do and avoid road, roadblocks. It's exactly. Yeah. So you're a backseat driver, but there's an art to it. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I like how you phrase it. We should use it. Yeah. The world's best backseat <laughs> driver. That sounds great. You work in the pre-seed area, but that's a pretty technical term. Can you give sort of an idiot's guide to pre-seed or angel investing? What are the things they should be thinking about? Yes, happy to do so. The finance people are very simply in that way. So they have these different fundraising rounds and until you sell a company or IPO it, there is maybe six, seven of them. And we just use the alphabet. So A, B, C, but then they figured out, hey, in the very beginning, they also need a name and it's just pre-seed for the very first round where you maybe take in up to a million US dollars. Is that what they used to call friends and family? Friends and family is maybe... Before this that? Is, this is the three F, friends, family and fools. So this is really <laughs> just in the, in the 10,000. That's so mean. And then the pre-seed, the replay is the 100,000. And then a seed round will be in the millions, ideally. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Good. And let's say somebody wanted to be an investor in that stage. What are the things they should be considering? My first advice would be not to do direct investments, but start with a fund investment, because then you see a bit how the professionals uh, do it, how they construct a portfolio. Mm -hmm. And I think portfolio is the most important word. If you invest in three companies, most likely all of them go bust and you lose all your money, which would be a shame. You have to, uh, it's a numbers game. You need to invest in at least 10, 20, 30 companies to make sure for the risk you take that certain of these become winners in their category. What's the minimum amount an active investor at that stage could be thinking of? Because all of a sudden, mm, it, it's, depends. it sounds like it's a million bucks before you should be really thinking about this stuff. Yeah, you can start early. There is also this network like AngelList, right? etc. There you, there you can start with 5,000. But I would follow a bit the, the professionals also. This is also a good idea instead of investing in a fund. You're not just talking yeah. your book, are you, Pascal? Yeah. 
<laughs> that was the trap. Yeah. Now, if you follow the professionals and invest tiny bits and build your little portfolio, I think then you're on a good start. Okay. So now let's flip roles. Let's say I am a, a brilliant material science engineer and I have a fabulous idea to address the issue around plastics, right? Next generation plastics. And I've heard of this guy, Pascal, and I see his LinkedIn. It tells me I'm really too busy. I can't possibly respond directly, right? You have to send your information here. And I go, okay, how do I prep? What do I do? What are the things I should be thinking of before I come to see you? The youngsters, they start to train. Uh, we can feel this. The pitches are better and more professional. What we need you to be able to is you explain your technology, mm -hmm. your new plastic in the most easy way possible. So if we cannot understand after an interrogation of half an hour, then we will not invest because then we don't believe that you convince customers or other investors That's a good test. Um, of your new plastic. So being able to frame your technology and then also maybe the business model in very easy language. Okay. So that's one. What's number two? Then the most important thing is bring a co-founder. If you are by yourself, we will not invest because it's just so tough to build a company from scratch. We believe it needs at least two people to start this off. And what if I'm terrified that you're going to steal my idea and I want you to sign an NDA before I even walk in the door? How do you deal with that? This happens maybe in 1% of all cases. And we look at thousand deals every year. I was in this exact same role when we were at Get Your Guide. I was like, this idea is easy to copy. Why should I tell anybody? It's so great. Everybody will do this. Yeah. If you would see my calendar, you would not be afraid because it's so full with a hell lot of stuff you don't want to imagine. And for a reason, I decided to be on the investor side and not on the entrepreneurial side anymore. So I'm the last one who would steal an idea and do an next startup. I have done this and I'm very happy on the investor side of things. You get to go home, not at five o'clock, but maybe at six o'clock. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, with a family at home, I try six, but I uh, guess after the dinner, I will start uh, up my computer again and do some more emailing. I understand. So you don't have another side hustle you're doing right now? At the moment, it's not possible. <laughs> I do a lot of sports, but a side hustle with, with a fund, it's, I don't know if it's possible. I just read an article in Forbes about Switzerland as the next Silicon Valley with some great stats from IFJ around the number of startups and how much money was being invested and all the outside West Coast and New London investors who are starting to be active there. Do you think that's really possible? What are the ingredients that make you believe that Switzerland and Zurich could be the next Silicon Valley as posited in that article? Yeah, it's great that we are in the ETH podcast because I think ETH and ÖPFL are for me the main two ingredients. It's incredible the kind of talent we are able as a country to attract. So the professors who come here and they bring all these students. That's right. And, they bring and, your whole labs, and, right? Yeah. And so this is the, the most important that you have these uh, crazy smart people. And then what Switzerland is maybe missing a little bit this ambition. But since we import so many people from all around the world, we often see international teams. So there is somebody coming from the US or from wherever, teaming up with some Swiss and German And then they have a quite good and, and diverse team to start. So I think talent makes me a strong believer that we can be the Silicon Valley. And then also the rest of the country, it's just so stable. There is a, a lot of industry players. 
There is the Googles and the Metas. They are all here. Google employs 5,000 people uh, in Zurich. So and a bunch of other guys have labs here too. Disney, Microsoft, all yeah, those. Yeah, and IBM since 40 years or something. That's right. And they won Nobel yeah. Prizes out of that lab, yep. right? So I think on the talent side and industry for first customers, we have everything here. It's somehow just, we call it the flywheel. We have the feeling if there is a couple of more Get Your Guides, some companies which become big and, and maybe even stay here and, and, and don't move outside the country, then the flywheel should start to spin because these founders, they invest again in, in other companies and these the first employees who live through this journey, they come out of these uh, companies and start their own stuff again. So we really have the feeling there is not much more needed and the flywheel can start to spin. ETH is a theme throughout our conversation. Right. Whether it's going there or doing the ETH juniors and becoming president within what, two months or continuing to work with them. How did ETH and those years and that experience, how did that prepare you for what you're doing now? This is now an interesting question. So that my pure electrical engineering studying, this gave me a, a logical thinking, which I use every day. And sometimes for me, it's almost impossible that other people cannot make the connection if something is dependent on each other or not. So I see that even smart people, they sometimes mix stuff which does not belong together. Just this very clear logical thinking, I think I acquired or, or trained at ETH and I'm grateful for this. I'm known to always find a solution which is simple, all, although the problem might be complex. And I think this is what we get trained in at ETH. You can make an argument that is the skill of a great engineer, right? Yes. So there are many institutions that create wonderful, extremely insightful engineers, right? What makes ETH special? Why is that where you are? And what was the magic at ETH that sort of set you on this path? I think what I like about ETH is that there is enough money in the institution. So I'm very grateful. And I think many people at ETH are. Um, the laboratories, uh, which they give us just for free. And also now all these um, student project houses and these kind of initiatives. It's, it's so great. So, so money is, is not an issue. And then this melting pot that you put all these great talent together from different nationalities and also different fields nowadays. I think this is something ETH improved. We were always a bit only the electrical engineers. Nowadays, they bring the departments together. I think this melting pot makes it an, an incredible place. Fantastic. Pascal, that was a wonderful conversation. I have a few closing questions, if that's okay. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So when you were very young, what did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah, now I don't know how this figure is called in English, but from the Donald Duck series, there was this inventor. And I always wanted to be him, just to create stuff out of nothing. This was my dream. Sounds like you accomplished that dream or you're on that path, let me say. And you yeah, have others create. Exactly, exactly. I'm not the guy, but at least I can be instrumental for these kind of people to achieve their goals. That's lovely. And what are you curious about today? What inspires you today in terms of either technologies or other areas or... What captures your interest? So for me, it's a combination between people, these entrepreneurs and technology. And, and 
that's why I have a dream job. Uh, every day I am able to sit with this great talent and they come up with some crazy ideas. Yeah, sometimes it's too crazy, but some of them will change the world and I cl can play my little role in, in the inception of these companies. For me, it's, uh, it's heaven. What are the books that you're reading right now or podcasts that you're listening to? Since we are fundraising for our fund, I'm reading The Bilanz <laughs> <laughs> with all the rich people. And I'm on many tech blogs. So I'm internally, I'm called the Gadget Master. The, I always the, have to check out the newest cameras and, and, and the newest phones, etc. This same angel investor always told me that he looked at these unbelievably expensive knowledge management systems and data management system. And he said, I could do that. Or I could take a bunch of people out to lunch. <laughs> this is even how I invest. Obviously, we do our due diligence. We look at the technology. We look at the market size. But after all, I consider myself just good with people. I, I try to figure out, can these people and persons run a business and stick together and be ambitious enough? Right. So when you take them out to lunch, what's your favorite place in Zurich? My favorite place is for sure Italian. And I like very close to the main station, Pew. It's just, just next to it. And any favorite places at the ETH? You mentioned the <laughs> it, Mensa. No, it has to be the Zenten Foyer. So in our times, uh, it was still hard to get to sneak in, in there. Um, nowadays, it, it has become a bit easier. But whenever I get invited to the Zenten Foyer, I'm always accepting. I like the view over the city. And especially when, it's, when it, the sun sets, it's so nice. It is nice. And you can sit outside. It's great. Yeah. Pascal, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time and your energy and good luck in making Zurich that Silicon Valley. Thank you, Susan. It was a pleasure. Thanks for the questions. I'm Susan Kish, host of the We Are ETH series, telling the story of the alumni and friends of the ETH Zurich, the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. ETH regularly ranks amongst the top universities in the world with cutting-edge research, science, and people. The people who were there, the people who are there, and the people who will be there. These are their stories. Please subscribe to this podcast and join us wherever you listen and give us a good rating on Spotify or Apple if you enjoyed today's conversation. I'd like to take a moment to thank our producers at ETH Circle and Ellie Media, and especially thank you, our listeners, for joining us.